This episode of Bend the Knee is brought to you by Lord Adam of House Parker, Ward of White Harbor, Warden of the White Knife, whose words are, from the earth, wisdom. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into chapter... Uh, which, which chapter? With 13? Yes. Wow, you, that's good. You updated it for me. Perfect. Um, and Ga- of Game of Thrones and also Magor uh, the First, or Magor the Cruel, in A World of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is huge, guys. Today we have a big episode. <sighs> huge episode. Yeah. So we're just going to apologize ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. We did do a kind of expedited episode. It was a rushed episode on Friday with our follow-up Friday. Yeah. Um, and so we said we would add, make this a bigger episode, and we're going to, you know, we keep true to our promise. A man yeah. is only as good as his word. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, real quickly, we always put this at the front here uh, for our follow up Friday. If you have a question about this episode or would like to talk about anything in the chapters, uh, please send us a Raven at btkcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we read those on Friday and we discuss them. They lead us down many, many rabbit holes. So we enjoy that. Also, we have a number at six one four five four seven two three five zero. All right, Sir Matt, it is time for us to jump into the small council mm-hmm. um any updates uh yeah so some people have asked um for our like personal like our instagrams if they want to follow oh, yeah. us on instagram so not okay. just we have a b we have uh btk cast is like our show instagram right where we just post mostly game of thrones stuff but if you specifically want to follow sir ezra or myself you can follow me at super gains bros mm-hmm. all one word that's also my twitter and uh sir ezra where can people follow you on the internet uh yeah you can find me at uh womp rat underscore two m on both instagram and twitter yep so okay so, all right, let's go ahead and jump into some news here. So, big kind of announcement. We talked a little bit about it on Follow Up Friday, but that is Gurr's original, one of his original works published uh, way back in 1979, The Ice Dragon is going to be getting an animated movie. Wow. That is, uh, and you t- we did talk about it on Friday, and it is super interesting. I, I haven't read it myself. You've read it, right? Uh, I have it. I've skimmed through it. Okay. Yeah. It's not very long. It's actually a children's book. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because publishers say that it takes place in the A Song of Ice and Fire universe. Right. Gurr himself has disputed this. Um, but if you kind of read the synopsis of it, it has a lot of similarities or you could view it because he wrote it 10 years before mm-hmm. or yeah. you know maybe a little bit longer right before he started working on a game of thrones um because game of thrones i think actually the first book released like early 90s mm-hmm. yeah. um so he uh anyway so if you look at it it has a lot of similarities to like you could some of the ideas are very similar to what Game of Thrones ends up being. Like there's like a girl who has an ice dragon and she fights a fire dragon and the land she lives in this like land that's always winter and yeah, there's just yeah. there's just a lot to it and like you know spring is coming and so it's just kind of interesting there's um some things. So but it's going to be handled by Warner Brothers 
and uh, there's we don't know exactly when this is coming out. Just that it's it's been announced. But it doesn't make you think like if he was going back to this, and he because it seems like he's consumed with all things Game of Thrones. I know he did publish not too long ago like another thing, didn't right. he? Some, some other book that he was working on or whatever. Yeah, he has and, he has some other books, I, and that's good. That's therapeutic, right? Yeah, we we, we want we want Gur to feel comfortable, you know, etc. But we know that really most of his attention is is devoted towards you know finishing uh, a song of ice and fire yeah or or building around that world and the yeah. fact that he's doing this the ice dragon and it's so closely related is just interesting yeah hey some I mean, people are one trick ponies that's okay Gur. nothing wrong with it right exactly you know yeah. we can't all be george lucas with indiana jones and star wars wow okay good, call. good point yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh okay so kingdoms anything- of the crystal skull best movie Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, just, well, boy, just get us in a tangent. Um, what? Uh, anything else from from small council? Uh, uh, no, that's that's really kind of that's really kind of a, about it. Um, but okay. yeah, I just think it's cool. It's gonna. Uh, I have it. I haven't. I still have not read through it. It's not very long. It's a children's book. It's it's not very long. And actually, the version that was released, he, he talks about it in like two thousand seven. Uh, has like really nice illustrations and stuff. So okay. it's really cool. All right, gotcha. Um, so before we dive into the Maester study, I guess while we're still in small council, a couple um, announcements for just the show in general. And we, we kind of talk about what's happening here. Um, we have today, if you're listening right now, um, we have the first episode of Black Council is up on patreon.com forward slash bend the knee. And it's it's pretty sweaty. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's a big, uh, it's a pretty big, pretty going to be a pretty big episode. Um, so we dusted off several books. We did. One, so we did. Yes. Yeah. So um, our World of Ice and Fire study this week is on Megor the First Targaryen, aka Megor the Cruel, and we were going over. We're just going over our notes. And we're like, I feel like there's a lot more information we know about him. And right, it's, it's missing. Yeah, and we're like, it's missing. And we're like, oh yeah, it's because it's it, it's in the Book of Swords, the segment, the Sons of the Dragon, mm-hmm. um, which was this. The Book of Swords is weird. So Gur releases things and like novellas, they're called. I don't know specifically mm-hmm. know exactly what a novella is, mm-hmm. but it's almost like this mini story combined from segments of other things. And he's done a couple of these other ones um, throughout the past, mm-hmm. and so this is like just information that's only kind of featured there right and it, it, it's also a really good taste i was telling um sir matt earlier that it's a good taste of what fire and blood is gonna i think is, like. gonna, is gonna be mm-hmm. like or, or or look like and people have said well it's recycled information that he you know mentioned at some event i can't remember the event that he was at right. but still to have in book form to be able to look at it um it's i think i think it's i think it's really good and we were going over the notes, and I was just like, yeah, we, we're definitely missing some stuff here. So it actually covers the sons of the dragon. So you have Aegon the Conqueror and his two sons, Aenys and Magor. So today right. we're focused on Magor because that's the next right, uh, chapter. But, but you black, really can't talk about one no. without talking about the other. Right. You can't have to talk about both. And so that's what your first Black Council episode one will be. Uh, it's posted right now. It is about... Um, you know, the Sons of the Dragon, and we go over in depth a lot of, a lot of cool stuff there. And it really helps you understand, I think... What is happening at the beginning of the conquest and shortly thereafter, a lot more details. You understand the realm a little bit better. Um, And also, very, very interesting point here. I'm going to make one last plug for it. Um, If you look at the main series and those who surround Cersei Lannister and those who surround, who are in and out of King's Landing, the names, the house names, 
directly correlate to you know the sons of the dragon mm-hmm. um there's a lot of the, a lot of similar names people these people are referenced and now we actually have something that talks about them and their interactions and what happened uh during megor with megor the the, the, the cruel so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so all right well let's go ahead and dive into our maesters study here so megor targaryen the first of his name came to the throne after the sudden death of his brother king anes in the year 42 ac he is better remembered as megor the cruel and it is well earned mm-hmm. um, for no crueler king ever set the iron throne his reign began with blood and ended in blood as well the histories tell us he enjoyed war and battle but it is clear that um was violence that he most craved violence and the death uh an absolute mastery over all he deemed his what uh, Damon possessed him or what demon possessed him could uh, none could say even today some give thanks to the tyranny that his tyranny was a short one for those who knew how many noble houses might have vanished under his state uh, under his rule yeah and you know um, the, the Magor he did he killed off a lot of different people I mean, he killed three three of his maesters on his small council you know um, he had ended up having four maesters there and the last one just barely survives because he's the last one. Pretty I mean, much. you know, also uh, how many, and we'll get to it, but how many, um, high septums yeah. there are under his rule. <laughs> right. He's just and he killing has a them. lot of trouble with them. And you know, when we left off last time we were talking about, um, you know, Aenys Targaryen. So this is his older brother and he's his older brother by about three years. And, uh, just to refresh you, you know, Aegon had two sisters, um, which were, you know, Rhaenys, and uh, Visenya, got that right, didn't I? And um, Rhaenys Targaryen is uh, the mother of Aenys Targaryen. Yes. And Visenya is the mother of Maegor. So that's where we're at. So both of them, each each of them had a son. And here's where we stand. So Aegon the Conqueror had two sons. Aenys, his, we, we mentioned this last week, but I just think it's important to remind us where we are when we talk about Maegor. Uh, the cruel, he had, um, he basically lost control of the realm, you know, lost control of the realm. And there were uprisings, there were, there were lots of fights, uh, infighting going on, people challenging the dragon. Um, and Magor at that time had been banished to Essos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he had been banished because, you know, he, he, he had a secret wedding that the High Septon and those guys <clears throat> did not like. They were completely against. So really, it does come into when you talk about Magor and Aenys, it, it is their their war or their disputes with the with the faith, you're right, and the, mm-hmm. and the faith militant. Um, so yeah, okay. What else you got? Um, all right. Well, it says he, uh, here. So I guess I'll talk about that. So no sooner had Aenys been buried than Visenya mounted Vagar and flew east to Pentos to recall her son Magar to the Seven Kingdoms. Following his exile, Magor flew back across the narrow sea with Balerion, staying at Dragonstone for long enough to be cra- uh, crowned with his father's Valyrian steel crown instead of his brother's more ornate one. Grand Maester Gawain protested, noting that the laws of inheritance, Prince Aegon, Aenys, Prince Aenys, or King, or no, I guess it would be, it would have been King Aenys, uh, eldest son. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, should be king. Megor's response to declare the maester a traitor, sentence him to death, and take his head with a swingle, with a single swing of black fire. After that, few others dared to support Aegon's claim. Ravens flew, declaring that a new king had been crowned, um, one who would treat his loyal supporters justly and bring a traitor's death to those who opposed him. Yeah, so um, you, this is a good point to kind of discuss. You know, a- um, Aegon the Conqueror 
no problem in who's going to succeed him. He has two sons. He has an elder son, Aenys, and a younger son, uh, Magor. And so, you know, uh, the firstborn son is, is, is next up. Now, if Aenys has no children, Magor is next in line. Right. You know? And there's a problem here. Aenys does have, you know, um, a child. And um, I think he was with Elise, or Elisa, uh, what's mm-hmm. her name, of um, Valerion. Mm-hmm. Is that his? Or, or, yeah, I can't remember. It was, uh, but it was his wife. Um, it, they were basically cousins, I think. Um, he had no sister wife to marry, so he married a cousin who was of yeah. the, you know, of the Valerian descent, I guess. Right. Yeah, I actually have. So I, this is actually part of what we'll be hitting up in the Black Council. This is actually from the book, The Sons of the Dragons. So this is kind of a longer a passage if you're ready yeah. for me to. Yeah, get a taste of it. To di- to dive in here, let me just zoom in since I'm uh, becoming blind and need glasses. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the accord between the Faith and the Iron Throne continued all through the reign of Aegon the First, from 11 A.C. to 37 A.C. Six high septums wore in the Crystal Crown. His grace remained on good terms with each of them, calling at the Starry Sept each time he came to Old Town. Yet the question of incestuous marriage remained, simmering below the courtesies like poison. Aegon the Conqueror had fathered no daughters. However, so these matters did not come to a head at once. The sons of the dragons, the sons of the dragon had no sisters to marry. So each of them was forced to seek elsewhere for a bride. Prince Aenys, who later becomes King Aenys, we talked about last week, mm-hmm. was the first to marry. In 22 AC, he wed the Lady Alyssa, the maiden daughter of the Lord of the Tides. There you go. Um, Aethan Valerion, King Aegon's Lord Admiral and master, master of Ships. She was 15, the same age as the prince, and she and shared his silvery hair and purple eyes as well. For the Valerians were of ancient families descended from Valerian stock. King Aegon's own mother had been a Valerion, so the marriage was reckoned one of cousin to cousin. Yep. The following year, oh, this is a long, I got a long, Past chair, unless you want to jump in and say something. Uh, no, I mean just uh, just really really quickly. I guess that like, um, well, no, go ahead and finish it. I think. Okay. Yeah. The following year, Alyssa gave birth to a daughter. Aenys named her Rania. Um, Prince Aenys was the heir to the Iron Throne. All agreed, but now an issue arose as to whether Prince Megor remained second in line of succession or should be considered to have fallen to a third. When also, real quick before you get so, uh, Rhaena Targaryen. The Targaryens are open to there being a queen. Yes. Okay. So, um, at first they have a daughter, and so if if Magor, which you're about to get to, is betrothed to uh, Rhaena Targaryen, uh, his brother's you know daughter, then that would up him in that line, mm-hmm. you know, of of succession. So, but really they had to decide here whether we're going to have a queen or not. Are we mm-hmm. going to pass by the daughters to go to the first sons? Mm-hmm. You know? And something I something I brought up, I know, I guess it just kind of depends because I think it should also kind of be viewed is that Aegon the Conqueror marries both of his sisters, but he marries one and then marries the other. So he mm-hmm. marries um, Visenya first. Mm-hmm. So Visenya is his first wife, and Visenya is also older than Aegon. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rainey's is younger mm-hmm. than Aegon, but Rainey's is who he has his first son with, mm-hmm. which is um, God. Now, there's so many different names. Aenys Targaryen, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. Aenys Targaryen who ends up becoming the king. So I think that also maybe could cause. Well, Megor is the 
son of his first wife as opposed to the son of his second wife. Right. And what's crazy is, you know, it, you ha- they have to kind of figure this out because the Brahms never time, had anything like this. Their laws are pretty strict. Right. And also at the time, the, the Targaryens are not kings of anything, really. Right. They're, they're just these they just ancient Valyrian house that's on Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. And they just decided to look west and, you know, conquer it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they really they really have a chance here to kind of figure out how it goes. So Queen Visenya actually does, you know, there nothing is set in stone. You know, it's up to them to decide what the laws will be and how the succession is going to work. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of important. Yeah. So behind the newborn newborn princess, Queen Visenya proposed to settle the matter by betrothing Rania uh, to Magor, who had just turned twelve. Aenys and Alyssa spoke out against the match. The High Septum also spoke out against the union of Magor and Rania. Um, he, the Septum, proposed a different bride for Magor, uh, Cersei or Cerse, Cerise, Cerise, sorry, mm-hmm. Hightower, maiden daughter to the Lord of Old Town, and also the High Septum's own niece, which we talked about last week. Yeah. Convenient. Um, King Aegon, mindful of the advantages of closer ties with Old Town and its ruling house, saw wisdom in the choice and agreed to the match. Yeah. And so, you know, um, because King Aegon actually, King Aegon the Conqueror here, mm-hmm. um, was very close and with, with, with Old Town. He appeased them. They liked him. They supported him. But as you said earlier, this incestual marriage situation, they didn't like it. But they didn't say anything to Aegon the Conqueror because mm-hmm. he had unite. He was doing well. The small folks supported him. All this, all the, all this good stuff. Now, um, nothing. They they weren't even opposed to Aenys marrying. You know, like his cousin. You know, uh, a, a Valerian. It was when this proposal by Visenya to Magor and Aenys' first daughter, Rhaena. Mm-hmm. That we have a problem because mm-hmm. there, that's the, that's basically marrying marrying his um, niece. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? She would be marrying her uncle, mm-hmm. and so they had a problem with that, and that's that's where there's a bit of an issue here. And they decide, King Aegon, you know, this other match, um, Cerise Hightower is put forward uh, by the High Septum, and he says, sure, yep, that's what we're going to go with. So that is Magor's first wife. It's a lot to get to his first wife, but I think it's. Important to understand all the drama mm-hmm. behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, and it talks in the in the in the book of the dragon that you know Aenys has a handful of kids, and Megor we'll get to it here in a second. Struggles having heirs. Yep. And so as Aenys has more kids, that just pushes Megor down and down and down the line. And something else it mentions in the book of the, or the you know Sons of the Dragon in the Book of Swords, it talks something I just found interesting is that. It talks that um, Aegon the Conqueror had, you know, put the put the sword Blackfire in the hands of Aenys a handful of times, but he gives Magor Blackfire the sword. Yeah, and then again, here we are in a in a in a somewhat similar situation to later. You know, hearing the Duncan Egg stories and stuff like that, the Blackfire Rebellion, which we talked about, where you have Damon and Darren. So you have Damon Blackfire, right. who was a legitimate bastard because Aegon the fourth legitimizes all of his bastards and he has the sword blackfire and the one I think a lot of people looked at were like he's more kingly mm-hmm. as opposed to Darren who is more bookish and then you have Magor who is far more of a knight and worthy and he has the sword blackfire as opposed to Aenys so it's just the whole thing is just it's interesting it's that it, that you draw those comparisons and so here we go back into a world of ice and fire 
It was said that Aenys was an adequate sword and lance, capable enough not to disgrace himself, but little more. Magor, on the other hand, was defeating hardened knights in the melee when he was all of 13 and 10, and quickly won renown and at, in the royal tourney of 28 AC, when he defeated three knights of the King's Guard at 13 years old. So, that's pretty mm, pretty legit yep, yep. Uh, in succession of the list and went on to win the melee. He was knighted by King Aegon at 16 and 10, the youngest knight in the realm at that time. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. So he's he's very good. He's, so maybe he actually so he maybe he did it when he was 16. Did what? So maybe he was just beating knights when he was 13 and then won the tourney at 28 AC when he was 16. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he beat three members he beat three members of the King's, King's Guard, Guard. Mm-hmm. in this tourney. And remember, Barristan Selmy beats at 16 Sir Duncan the Tall, who was then a member of the King's Guard at mm-hmm. 16. So, yeah, and actually, same so, kind of a thing. So right. Megor so, may have even been more beastly on the field. Oh, he might have been. Yeah. Well, for, for the, then who? Barristan Selmy. Then Barristan Selmy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, seriously. We, we, we just don't know enough about him. Right. Yeah. And we'll get into that later in Black Council. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what he, what he did because he also, when you have. Um, uh, when you have Balerion, you know the dread. You don't really need to get yeah. o- get off of him and fight hand to hand. So right. you'll see that which is something of... that another podcast jacked up when exactly they, when they said that Aegon the Conqueror was a great warrior. Although the book says he's pretty good, but it's mostly his dragons. Yeah, yeah. So we won't we won't mention that podcast. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So uh, so anyways, he's definitely a, he's definitely a warrior, and he's worthy of maybe uh, us us reconsidering our list. Yeah, you know? um, we, we were, Matt and I, are, or Sir Matt and I, are well, certainly, our list. Our, I'm sure our list is going to be you know demolished with fire and blood. So I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so now let's get into um, more about you know just like his reign, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, in in 37 AC. Um, his his father King Aegon the first dies, and then King Aenys takes over, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. And basically, there's this um, lo- lot of dissension, a lot of stuff going on. I guess first you have to talk about his exile, you know, because he is he is married. Um, he is married to um, oh, what's her name? I just lost it. Um, oh gosh, not Cerise. Anyways, he ends up marrying Alice uh, Haraway, and that's like this secret marriage that basically it is Cerise Hightower. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He and Cerise had uh, still had no children, and so this whole time he's been this, begrudgingly, I think, in this marriage with with Cerise. Although it does say in um, in uh, the Sons of the Dragon that on the night that he consummated the marriage or whatever, that he you know he was like yeah. super lustful and right. you know, uh, had consummated it twelve, 12 times. times over or whatever, you know, and things. So so they definitely tried and. Um, they weren't able to have children, so he, in secret, takes another wife, um, uh, Alice Haraway, and uh, basically, I think the Septon base d- declares that you know says it's wrong. Um, it was done in secret, and then he's exiled. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He'd been down. Yeah, down you actually have, you have to go back a chapter. Actually, I talked about it here. Um, so this is from the previous chapter, Anies. Uh, Mago shocked the realm in 31 AC by announcing he had taken a second wife, Elise of House Haraway, in secret. Uh, he had wed her in a Valyrian ceremony officiated by Queen Visenya for want of a septon willing to wed them. The public outcry was such that Aenys was finally forced to exile his brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Um, so he's exiled. He's chilling out there and all that uh, craziness is going on um, there. So now how do we get into his 
his reign. He's sent back and he, he takes He takes he just takes the throne by force, pretty much, and then and then his reign kind of begins. Um and so so once so once he come once he comes back and, you know, just kills the high septum and pretty much makes himself king, nobody questions it. And so then it just kind of starts. Um so then we get into uh right here. Uh, Visenya then challenged any any who denied Magor's right to rule to prove themselves, and the captain of the warrior's sons accepted the challenge. Sir Damon Morgan, called Damon the Devout, agreed to a trial of seven after the ancient fashion. Sir Damon and six warrior sons against the king and his six champions. It was a contest which um, the kingdom itself was at stake, and the accounts and tales are many and often contradictory. What we do know is that King Magor was the last man left standing, but that he took a grievous blow to the head and at the very end fell senselessness to the ground just moments after the last of the warrior sons died. For 27 days, Magor was dead to the world. On the 28th, Queen Alice arrived from Pentos, and with her came a Pentoshi Blushi called Tyanna of the Tower. She had become Magor's lover during his exile. It was clear, and some whispered Queen Alice as well. Um, and then basically she cares for him alone and then he wakes up, you know, on the, thir- on the 13th day since the trial of seven. Uh, yeah. So that was, the, so that was, clear. so basically I guess had he, he hadn't, had he put away, um, his first wife? Cause that's, that's Elise Haraway. Yeah. It, it, um, it, unfortunately it's, it's, it's not th- this. And then there's actually like a little sub chapter at the end of this about his wives. And it's kind of really unclear exactly to what all he did is it, it seems like he has a ton of them. Yeah, he does. He definitely does. Um, so let me see. She, Cerise died in 45 AC mm-hmm. and it looks like, um, let's see. King Aenys in the year 42. So, so King Aenys dies in, in 42 AC mm-hmm. um, and Magor is, you know, is obviously called back mm-hmm. um, to Westeros. Yeah. So he has uh, Cerise of, How- of House Hightower, uh, who he marries in 25 AC. She dies in 45 AC. He has a list of House Haraway, who is that's the secret one that he has in 39 AC while Magor was the hand. And this is what gets him exiled. Tyanna of the Tower, who he marries, must be over in Essos. Uh, she's wed to the king in 42 AC. Right, so she's she's wed to the king um, in 42 AC, and that is when... Uh, that, but I think that in the same year is when he comes back yep. to Westeros. Yep. So I guess my... I think, I think perhaps that... Um, that... Um, Cerise was still there, uh-huh. uh, but she she was sickly, just sickly and yeah. she ends up dying in forty five. So mm-hmm. she ends up dying. What is that? Three years later. You yeah. Know? So he had three wives at that time. Yeah. When he came back, and then at one point he marries three women all at once. So exactly. Yeah. So but it's just important. Those, those first three <laughs> right are, are kind of hard. More to, more of the important ones. Yeah, and they're they're more. Yeah, legitimate, I guess. Yeah. So. so anyway, so after he has this trial of seven where his his claim to the throne was challenged, he mounts Balerion, flies to Aegon's high hill um, in the kill in the hill of Rhaenys without warning and unleashes uh, Balerion's fire on the Sept of Remembrance uh, and then has, you know, archers and spearmen, you know, cut cut down, you know people that are running out there. So this is really where his kind of war against the, uh, the seven and the, and the, uh, the high sept kind of begins. Right. And so the, the faith mili- militant, yeah, the faith mili- militant and the, and the poor fellows 
they call them. So they basically had armed themselves. And, and that's something that you, in the main series, to make a connection, that is the the warrior's sons, you know, and the faith militant, that's right? Cersei. Yeah, doesn't want to come necessarily back into power, but Tommen, you know, kind of brings them back. Yeah. So, which is an interesting, you know, thing. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. And so we'll, we'll get into that more later because there's, there's actually a lot of little uprisings that take place mm-hmm. um, with all of that. So, okay. Um, and it, well, it goes on to talk about, you know, the, the battle at the uh, stone bridge, the poor fellows fell in droves and it said that the Mandor ran red with the blood of 20 for 20 uh-huh. leagues. So there's, it mentions several of these, of these um, little battles at different places. Um, an even greater battle was joined at the at the Great Fork of the Blackwater. So 13,000 poor fellows, as well as hundreds of knights from chapters of, of the Warriors' uh, sons at Stony Sept, and hundreds more, you know, besides from, like, rebel lords and stuff, basically get together and, and you know, they're trying to put down, you know, Magor the Cruel, essentially. Yeah. So, and I think it has to do with, with his, the... He has multiple wives. He's seeking an incestual marriage as well. Mm-hmm. And and the succession did not pass down to, you know, through Amy's children. And that's that's the big problem mm-hmm. is that it didn't pass down through the right people. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And then and then King Magor struggles not only with the faith, um, you know, militant. He struggles to have his own heir. And that's kind of why it kind of it's kind of like King Henry the Eighth a little bit. You know, maybe that's where Gur was drawing some inspiration you know, for him and yeah, that he's, yeah. he's marrying all these women trying to have an heir and he can't do it. So he's like, you know, killing them or just, you know, kind of crazy guy. Um, so here, uh, Megor's war, this is talking about the faith militant. And then it kind of goes into his, um, marriages here. Uh, Megor's war- wars against them were further compounded by his many marriages as he strove to produce an heir. Yet no matter how many women he wedded or bedded, he found himself childless. He made brides of women who he had widowed, um, Women of proved fertility, but the only children bore of his seed proved monstrosities, misshapen, eyeless, limbless, or having the parts of man and woman both. Can I just say that it sounds like the seed is not strong? Not. Is that what I'm hearing? Not strong here. <laughs> it's not strong. Something's up. Yeah, his his descent into true madness, some say, began with the first of these abominations. So then it um kind of shifts over and it's and it starts to talk about his his one true distinction uh which is um Megor's hold fast which is the yeah. completion of the red keep. Yeah, and that's interesting because um you know we we know that uh, we know this from the main series that you know after it's completed right they they get all of the builders and the and the and the workers people who had worked on it knew the secret passageways and the false walls and all that stuff and they are killed. Uh, yeah, it says, uh, right here. Um, but as was typical with Megor's reign, even this great achievement was turned to horror when he kept, uh, or when the keep was at last completed, the King threw a righteous feast for the masons and carvers and other craftsmen who had helped to construct the castle. But after three days, uh, um, at the King's expense, they were all put to the sword so that the secrets of the red keep would be to Megor's alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's actually going to be our cool connection is um, kind of looking a little bit more into the Red Keep. So I might actually kind of pull up some of that now because yeah. I think there is actually some pretty cool stuff about the castle itself. Yeah, go for it, yeah. 
Um, so Aegon, we know that Aegon starts the starts building the castle. It starts out kind of as the, the Aegon Fort. It's on you know Aegon's hill, and then that essentially he starts creating the castle. So you have Magor's Holdfast, uh, which is a massive square fortress inside the heart of the Red Keep. So you have like the main castle, and then he kind of adds this fortress inside of the Red Keep itself. Has walls twelve feet thick and a dry moat lined with iron spikes. I think that's kind of where you see like the spikes that they have that Ned Stark's heads on and Joffrey's talking about it. Um, it was a castle within a castle. The royal apartments are in Magor's Holdfast. The king's bedchamber has twin hearths. There's also like the queen's ballroom. Uh, and it's, it talks about it not being as big. It's not as big as like the small uh, hall in the Tower of the Hand. Um, the ballroom sits ha, uh, seats 100 and has been uh, has beaten seven or has a bunch of silver mirrors in it and stuff like that. You have the Tower of the Hand, which as we see a lot. Um, tower has tall windows behind the tower. Uh, below the tower is a chamber of the the dragon mosaic. There's a lot of different wow. things in here. You have the Maiden Vault. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Baylor one can find his sisters there yep. when he came to the throne claiming it would prevent any uh you wouldn't touch him. thoughts. Yeah, uh-huh. so just a lot of uh just a lot of weird things. You have the White Sword Tower, which is the chamber of the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. Um the Great Hall, which is the Rome, you know, the it says that the hall can sit a thousand people. So I believe it cuz a, a lot a lot bigger in the books. Yeah, bigger in the books? Yeah. Oh, oh, bigger in the book. Sorry, bigger in books. Yeah. Way yeah. bigger. Absolutely. In, bigger in the show, books. it looks like maybe a hundred, but you know right. that's that's fine. I mean, and imagine they had the big, they had the, the all the dragon skulls in there. In there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the traitor's walk. Um, a half round tower that contains the entrance to the dungeons. The top floor holds the cells for the prisoners who were to be kept in degree of comfort. Uh, so just kind of some different things there. Then you have the dungeon and there's a bunch of secret passages Mm -hmm. all over the place, which is why Magor has people killed. Uh, But Magor wants no rats in his own walls, uh, except for one secret escape door that does not connect to any other passage in the red keep. Um, So yeah, then there's a God's wood in there, a sept, a rookery and things like that. And uh, then there's some cool quotes just from the books. If you go to the wiki, the wiki's great. It has all these kinds of things. Um, The Red Keep has ways known only to ghosts and spiders. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because there seems to know quite a few of them. And then Jamie Lannister says, no one knows the Red Keep better than the eunuch. Talking about uh, Lord Varys. Yeah, well, I mean, it would make sense since he's a Targaryen, right? Could be. Whoa! whoa. (laughs) Uh, Certainly a Targaryen loyalist. Perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So that was a cool. That was a that's that's pretty neat. And um, I guess to to go along with that, you know, um, the Hill of Remembrance, Rainey's you mm-hmm. know hill where he destroys a lot of the Faith Militant and their bones and their ashes. All that stuff is up there. Um, he raises like he he tears that down, raises it, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where the Dragon Pit is constructed. Actually, yes, that's where yeah. he constructs the Dragon Pit. Yeah, so that's that's pretty cool. And he had a he had a hard time finding, you know, builders. Right? Do you have that? Uh yeah, let me. Oh gosh, maybe I didn't highlight. Well, I, I got it. Um, I didn't highlight it here. Yeah, so uh, let's see. In the, in their place, he decreed a, a great uh, stone stable for dragons would be erected, uh, a lair worthy of Balerion. Um, thus, commenced the building of the of the dragon pit. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it 
proved difficult to find builders, stonemasons, and laborers to work the project. So many men ran off that the king was finally forced to use prisoners from the city's dungeons as his workforce. So, yeah. you know, it just makes sense that uh, that was, you know, I mean, you killed everybody, so it's going to be hard to kind of... And really with the dragon pit, there's not much secrecy to it. It's just a pit. But still, it just shows you how people feared... You know, Magor, and he was he was crazy. He was cruel. Well, it could also be that, and it could also be fearing dragons because they're you know they, they want the dragon mm-hmm. pit where these dragons can hang out, and uh, right, it's like I don't want to be part be, of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't want to be anywhere near dragons, yeah. especially with this guy. So. Right. Um, okay, so so get, let's get back to this real quick, and let's let's finish up sort of what happens here in the midst of his rule. Uh, he has all the issues with the poor fellows and then the faith militant, um, but then arises Aegon Targaryen, who is you know, Aenys, his brother's son, so his nephew, um, rises and takes Quicksilver. Um, there's the battle at the God's Eye, and um, Balerion um, with, you know, Magor, they make short work of it and end up uh, killing, you know, I mean, Aegon believes that he has the right, you know, to make a claim for the throne and that he should have never been passed over, you know, because he's, again, he's Aenys' right. first son. And so, and it, actually to tie this bit up here, um, one of the other reasons why Aenys and the, and the High Septon had some issues is because Aegon married uh, his sister Reyna, mm-hmm. um, and Reyna, Reyna Targaryen, and they had two kids, two twins, I believe. I think it was twin daughters. I could be wrong about that. And um, that was who um, Visenya was trying to betroth to Magor. So Aegon has married what would have been the betrothed of, of, of Magor. And he meets him on the battlefield with Quicksilver and is killed, yep. you know, and, and d- doesn't make it. Yeah. So, and one quick thing about the Aegon, the name Aegon, because this was confusing me. I was like, yep. wait, I thought there was an Aegon the second. So you there don't, is. they don't really claim that, that like Aegon the fifth, Aegon the sixth, right? That kind of, a, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing, unless you are king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was very confusing to me. So I was like, wait a second. I thought Aegon the second, like was a king and he had like he has like his own sigil it's like a yellow dragon or something yes, like that. Right. yeah he does he does so this Aegon is not <laughs> right yeah. you only you only get the distinction like Aegon the first Aegon the second once you become the king yeah so so to make it easier for you to understand you've got technically you have um five Aegon kings mm-hmm. you know you've got Aegon the fifth and and then backwards and outside of that you would might have 12 Aegons yeah, it's probably less than twelve. I think it might it's be actually it might be more. It might be more. It might Who be knows? more. Uh, I haven't counted. Well, them all because up you exactly. have because theoretically, right now in the books, you have Aegon, mm-hmm. who was Rhaegar's son, but he mm-hmm. never becomes king, so he's just an Aegon. And then you mm-hmm. have Jon Snow, who in the show, in the show, who is also Aegon, right? And so he may also be, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. So. so that so just yeah to make that distinction. That's why I keep going back to kind of explain where they descended from, you know, so you've got Aegon the Conqueror who had Aenys, mm-hmm. um, who was Aenys one, and then he had a son, um, Aegon, who would have been um, the next king, but Magor is flown back in and takes over. So mm-hmm. then, you know, Aegon meets him on the battlefield, killed his sister Rhaenya, um, moves on with their, with their, with their uh, twins. And um, yeah, so now Aenys though, um, Magor's brother, had a wife, right? And they still have other kids. Mm-hmm. And one of those kids is Prince uh, Viserys. Is that right? Viserys? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he is basically taken, after after Aegon's little move um, at the Battle of the, um, 
near the uh, yeah. the Battle of the God's Eye? Yeah. Well, what, what ends up happening, though, is that Queen Visenya dies in 44 AC. And um, when she dies, Queen Alyssa, who was Aenys, <laughs> Aenys' wife, takes away with all of her children with the, accept- with the exception of um, Viserys. Mm-hmm. And even steals Dark Sister, the Valyrian steel sword, and flies. Oh, you know, flies. I think she flies to Dragonstone, doesn't she? Uh, she yeah. She well, um, slipped yeah. away from Dragonstone. Slipped away from Dragonstone with her yeah, children. So she goes. She at. goes like Essos. Um, right. And or, she, what she could not, because Viserys was actually at King's Landing with his uncle, mm-hmm. you know, Magor the Cruel. And so since he's there, and she has slipped away with her other two children and Dark Sister. Because Visenya was at Dragonstone, um, you know she. I think she might even go to the Free Cities. I'm not even sure. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does it say does, in the Sons of the Dragon. So yeah. we'll, we'll we'll check we'll, there. We'll, 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 yeah. Uh, well. Yes. And so. Um, yeah. So that. So anyway. So then she leaves Viserys there, and Viserys basically dies, and uh, Megor like leaves him out in the middle of, you know, like, just like, the middle, I guess, of like. The gar- the yard or something so that to kind of like he displays him I mean he, it's it's bait because he wants her to come back right with the other Targaryen children because it's just like he's worried about another uprising and this is where we're going to get into all of these people start to kind of betray him and Jaehaerys mm-hmm. the first um, is actually ultimately the one who will come back rally a bunch of supporters and take down his uncle mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's that's really what happens next and the thing um uh, Prince Jaehaerys, Aenys, and Alyssa's only remaining son, now all of 14 years of age and supported by the Lords of Storm's End, whom Jaehaerys had named as Protector of the Realm and Hand of the King, when Queen Rhaenya, whom Megor had married after Aegon's death, uh, learned of her brother's proclamation, she flew on her dragon, Dreamfire, stealing Blackfire away as her king and husband slept. Even two of the King's Guard abandoned Megor, joining Jaehaerys instead. Um, and then it just seems like Magor, I think he's just kind of psychologically beat with, all, with, with yeah. all, with all of, with all of this stuff. His mom dies. You can't have an heir, all of this stuff. Magor's response to this was as slow as confused as it seemed, uh, that this series of betrayals and perhaps even the loss of his mother's guidance had left him in the own way as broken as Aenys. Remember when Aenys dies, it's the same kind of a thing. He said, he's kind of perceives himself as like a nice guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's wondering, like, why are people not like, why are people like, why do people not like me? Right. Why, why are they rebelling against me? And what do I do? Is he right? He just doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't know know what to do. Um, and, you know, it's, and it, it's interesting if you look at both of them and you look at both their parents, you have Megor, whose mom is Visenya, who mm-hmm. we know is like very like militant. You yeah. Know, calculating. Very, yeah. Right. And then you have Rainies, who it seems like Aegon loved a little more mm-hmm. um, because she's more of a free spirit. Right. Right. Kind, kind of a thing. And so. Yeah. Yeah. But but anyways, I mean, t- to end all of that, Jaehaerys basically, you know, they kill him. Well, we don't really know. Well, we do in the Sons of the Dragon, I think so. Well, in the, in, in, in the World of Ice of Fire, it, it says, It was late at night during the hour of the wolf when the remaining lords departed in the council chamber, leaving Magor to brood alone. Early the next morning, he was found dead on the throne, his robes sodden with blood, his arms slashed open by the barbs of the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. You, when, when, so this is another plug for the Black Council, because when we get there, it is very pretty cool. You can almost put your thumb on about 
at least I have my thumb on one person who did it. Yeah. And I think you'll be able to kind of make your own cases to who you think it was that killed Megor the Cruel, etc. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, it was all, it was all of that um, suffocation that was going on with um, the different lords rallying to his cause. And so, you know, thus ends the, the, the reign of Megor. Uh, the cruel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so then next week we'll be hitting up Jaharis the first, who I will say a plug for. A lot of people believe in the books. Uh, if if R plus L does equal J, that Jon Snow's like actual name will be will be Jaharis. Jaharis. Yeah. yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. So, so anyways, there's a lot of stuff in there. We only just hit the cliff notes. So as you can imagine, um, uh, the, the Black Council episode might be two episodes. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. There's also a Patreon time limit. So Yeah, there's a time limit for it. So, so we might have to divide it up. But, but anyways, there it is. There's just the cliff notes. We'll, we'll circle back to it each week as you can kind of see. You know, um, Sir Matt and I are going to kind of comb back through uh, several chapters to remind you and pull you along this, this uh, line of thought here because... The Targaryen Kings is very confusing, and there's a lot Ultra of names to, to remember. So we're gonna try to do our best uh, to help. We were with reading, that. we were doing, uh, we were just combing over some stuff last night, and we were looking and, um, you know, dunk. You look at almost like the end of the Dunkin' Egg series. There's a lot of unaccounted for Targaryens. Absolutely, there are. Yeah, a ton of them. Right. Like I, we're to, we're kind of to believe that. Wow, only one of you know. One of these guys may or may be alive with like Daenerys, and no, I don't think so. Right, there's well, tons, not just not accounted for. Exactly, and, and that and could still be alive. Well, then you also have House Valerion, which yeah. is which is which is still a player, you know, and that's why I believe Fire and Blood is going. It has the second volume, and I think that will cover. So we're told actually in Fire and Blood that it covers between Aegon the first and I blink. I think Aegon the third. So that's a lot, and mm-hmm. around this, the Dance of Dragons is is in all of that. So three really confusing period. The Conquest. If we think this is confusing, just wait till we get to a Dance of Dragons, um, or, or I think it's yeah, and then which is which is where the Black Council was actually formed, um, and then when we get to Aegon the fourth. The fourth. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it's literally it's gonna it's gonna be bonkers. So we want to try to have a good grasp on on what's happening uh, there, just to because. As I said earlier, what I'm, the connection I'm going to make in the Black Council is that some of the names and the people and the, and the wives and the brides here are very much big players later on. Absolutely. And when you see houses pitted against one another, it's because of marriages and alliances to the Targaryens, you know, um, over, you know, 200 years ago. Yeah, so. absolutely. And a lot of these, a lot of this, especially these, uh, these marriages and things especially once you kind of get to like egg on the fourth, I think all are all going to kind of come back to play in like winter winter. Cause that's kind of the whole black fire rebellion stuff with young Griff and all this stuff. And it's all going to be when winds finally releases, it's all going to have a lot to do, I think with a lot of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yep. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to dive into the reread. Uh, as I said, uh, this week we are uh, into Tyrion uh, two, mm-hmm. and uh, so we'll, we'll we'll jump into that. But first, let's do a, a quick recap just on the last chapter, which was Eddard. Um, Eddard two. Eddard two. Yeah. So last week we um, we have Robert Baratheon waking Ned up early, and they ride out into you know just the just kind of the the woods into the north, and just uh, just doing some riding, and then they have a conversation about. Daenerys Targaryen mm-hmm. over in Essos marrying a Dothraki lord and right. Robert and Ned kind of have a just an argument I think mm-hmm. is, is yeah, the way yeah. to put it and then they uh kind of 
just put it off for now, really. And um, then they talk a little bit about possibly Jamie Lannister as the warden of the East. Yeah. Yes. And so just kind of kind of some politically some political back and forth between Ned yeah, and, and you Robert. get some history too of mm-hmm. um, you know basically what happened you know um, back in the day. There's a lot of historical references made and stuff. So so yeah. All right. So um, in two uh, Tyrion two summary for that Tyrion Lannister travels north um, with Benjamin Stark and Jon Snow. Tyrion is impressed by the overwhelming size of the North. Uh, along the way, um, they meet um, Yorin of the Night's Watch, and uh, as they pass the Wolf's Wood, um, one particular night, Tyrion goes off to read and is discovered by Jon Snow. Um, they have a very candid discussion about life on the Wall, and I think um, Jon Snow has to kind of face some some hard truths. So, so, mm-hmm. we'll, so there's your there's your summary. Let's dive into some of the details. Um, we have divided this chapter in two, three parts. We've got the journey north. Uh, why do you read Dragon Dreams, Grumpkins, and Snarks? Yep. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the journey north. It's just it's just kind of when Tyrion and John are riding north, and you kind of get just a bit of the lay of the land of the north and how it kind of goes towards the wall, which I think is kind of interesting. In that it talks about how the King's Road kind of, you know, gets a little more beaten down. Right. It kind of narrows. It, yeah. Right. It, it kind of kind of narrows down and the wo- the woods kind of start to get thicker. And well, yeah. And here's here's how in my head, you know, how you get a picture when you're reading uh, just of, of the, the descriptions and things. So to our west, I believe, is the Wolf's Wood. Right. And then so to our right, it kind of slopes down. Um, so to the, I believe they said to the east, it's it sloped down and then to the west was the wolf's wood. So you imagine you're almost like the, the road is sort of cutting along the edge of the, the woods there for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a couple of different, um, for, for a three days ride, at least there's some, some, some taverns, some rude inns that they can stay in, um, three plus days maybe. And uh, I think that that's a good thing. But then once, the, once they get beyond that, really it's, um, they're kind of out in the open, you know, mm-hmm. not a whole lot to really, you know, um, protect them. And yeah. Like it's actually, I always kind of forget exactly where Winterfell is. Cause every time I think about Winterfell, I think it's like, well, it's like right next to the wall. Well, it's really not no, actually, it's yeah. not, it's not right next to the wall. It's, it's actually, it, it looks like it's definitely a couple days or, you know, perhaps like a week's ride up to, yeah. to the wall. Well, and you, and you also got to remember too, that, that you've got all that gift, territory in between um you know winterfell or the north and the wall which is basically used by the night's watch to you know um just use for resources and things as Mm -hmm. as they might need it so um all right so as they're going past the wolf's wood you know benjen um uh is, is talking to Tyrion a little bit here and they 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 talk about um they hear actually the the, the wolves howling howling in the, in the wolf's wood, and they make a special note here that Ghost uh, John's direwolf doesn't make a sound at all. He mm-hmm. doesn't call back to him. He's just it's it's eerie how silent uh, he is and perceptive and um, just intelligent that this that this direwolf is. So they said there was something very unsettling about that animal. Tyrion thought. Um, so now they were. Um, there were eight in the party, not including the wolf. Tyrion traveled with two of his own men as befit a Lannister. So he has two two men accompanying him because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's not going to make his own tent. 
He's right. not going to you know pitch his own ten or what have you. So, so uh, they are just there to kind of protect him, make sure everything goes well, and, and what have you. And and, and so um, they meet um, Yorin though. Um, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the one of the black brothers, and who's kind of uh, who? Something interesting here about Yorin is like you don't yeah. think he's oh okay he's just some guy. Well, he comes back and kind of a bigger deal, big, big deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and he seems kind of grumpy here while he's mm-hmm. out on the road. And I think you know when he gets back to at least especially in the show too, they really depict him as more of a happy-go-lucky drinking right. type of guy, having a good time. Because he's the guy that he's the guy that rides south, tells Ned later that Benjamin's gone missing, and tells right. him that Tyrion's been. Mm-hmm taken yeah and then he's also the one that like cuts Arya's hair and um you know like take is like i'm gonna take you back to your to winterfell and to to the north right yep and then he dies but yeah so anyways these guys make a curious um you know fellowship for the king's road you've got some some rapers um that uh that they that they're taking back to the night's watch and that's Really, John gets a good look at his new brothers. Yeah, right. Yeah, right here. No doubt the boy had made a mistake of thinking that the Night's Watch was made up of men like his uncle. If so, Yorin and his companions were a rude awakening. Tyrion felt sorry for the boy. He had chosen a hard life, or perhaps he should say that a hard life had been chosen for him. Right, and right there just goes back into all the theories we talked about, you know, between did Benjen, I, we, had a, we had a raven the other day um, where someone was kind of like, just had popped in and started listening to the podcast and said, you know, um, said yes, yep. 100%. Yeah, so you know, a patron, a patron posted to our old, our older, right, had been up for a bit, yeah, post, he's like, sorry I'm late, but absolutely. But absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely to the fact that Ned Stark shared John's true identity and was a part of, mm-hmm. um, shared that with Benjen Stark and that those two together are working towards creating a life for Jon Snow. Yeah, and something interesting uh, we've been kind of taking a note of when we're researching all these theories is that you can't ever... POV is everything. Mm-hmm. The point of view of yeah. which character is experiencing is which cha- whose chapter it is, is everything. Because if this were John's chapter, as we'll get to, you know, they're having this back and forth conversation. It could be totally different mm-hmm. but how and how it's perceived. That's why I, I'm still... I have no idea, but when we finally get to the dragon pit mm-hmm. that we saw on the show, yeah. I, whose POV is it going to be? Right, because you have so many main characters. So many there. main characters. And there. it might not be that way. It may book. not be that way. But, but, yeah, uh, but. but that would be an interesting one where it's like, yeah, from whose perspective are we going to Because it changes everything. Yeah. It definitely is. Because imagine if this were told from John, from John's point of view here, it'd be very more more somber. It would be, uh, he'd be a little down, you know, just, I don't know, yeah, disheartened. Just because, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, because he's realizing slowly that like this is not going the way he thought it was going to go. It'd be it'd be a very different tone here. So, um, but it's not. It's told from Tyrion's point of view, and um, you know, so so after um, he kind of introduces to the, to the company, talks about what's going on. Um, he had re- okay. So talking about this life that that had been chosen for John, you know, Tyrion starts to kind of feel bad for John. You know, Benjen knew what this was like. And Ned Stark knew what this was like. And that happened, they'll talk about that later. It's like everyone knows these things, but no one really has told him the truth. And Tyrion does later in this chapter. Mm-hmm. All right, what do you got? Um, uh, it's just uh, something else just uh, they, uh, interesting here. That, so then they start making camp. Um, 
And so just something I thought was kind of interesting. This is where you start to get into the conversation between like, why do you read John and, mm-hmm. and Tyrion go back and forth with Lord Eddard Stark's permission. Tyrion had borrowed a rare, uh, a few rare volumes from the Winterfell library and packed them for the ride North. Um, first of all, I just find that interesting because there's a conversation that we never, we don't see in the show. We don't see in the books. Um, but these are the kind of things I think when you think about the show where you get these kind of conversations, mm-hmm. this is what I mean when I, I, I say a lot, well, the book may reference something and then the show may do it. Right. Yes, so n- right. not that that happens, but that, that is a scenario that could, we could of something we could see in the show that theoretically could. Yeah. That could have happened, right? There could yeah. have been a quick conversation like, you know, hey, can I borrow this book? Lord Stark, do you care if I right. borrow it? No, take it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Which that, is also funny course. because I also, so something else I thought about this line, I'm going to go down some deep rabbit holes yeah, here. That's fine. Um, it's just interesting because you think of Lord Stark as like, he doesn't care about books. He is a, like, he's, he's, he's somebody who uses a sword mm-hmm. and Tyrion talks about that. Like I can't use a sword. I have to use books, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's Lord Eddard Stark who actually kind of turns to books mm-hmm. at the end of this and Tyrion who actually kind of turns to a sword. Remember when they're raided yep. by the, by the, what are they called? The, oh, the, 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 the clans, the clans. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he has and to like, you know, fight. He kind of actually right. fights Mountain one of clans. them and, yeah. and kills 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 one of them um and so it's just i just i just thought it, it was is interesting. It's very, also it's very... those library fees have got to be outrageous because he has yet to turn those books he in. did not take those back <laughs> well maybe he does maybe he does when he goes maybe back he, goes, eh, he might have when he goes back we'll see we'll see i have a feeling he kept him he probably kept yeah him. so now one thing too well is, lannister always pays his debt so right so they'll eventually get back there um another thing that's, that's interesting is as they're going north um benjamin really wanted to make it hard he mm-hmm. wanted to kind of make this you know, he doesn't really like Lannisters, and they didn't have a real good taste in their mouth. I'm wondering if Benjen... I know there was... In the books, there's really no conversation between the two of them, correct? Mm-hmm. You know, but I bet I bet that there was. We just... It's one of those things we didn't see, right? And, um, you know, I, there's a bad taste in their mouth with in regards to the Lannisters. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ned had mentioned something to Benjen about it, but but who knows? So, anyways, Tyrion's hardened. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's riding a lot. Legs are cramping. You know, he's getting chafed, etc. Um, so this was kind of cool. Uh, he, uh, Benjen Stark trying to be, trying to mock Tyrion, like, oh, would you, would, would you know, in, in mocking courtesy, like asking, would you like my, you know, bearskin, you know, cloak, etc. And Tyrion's like, oh, yeah, I mean, hell yeah, I'll take it, you know. And he, I think he thought, uh, Benjen thought that Tyrion wouldn't take it because he was going to try to show that he was tough and hard. And Tyrion's like, I don't really care. It's freezing out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take yeah. your cloak. And then Benjen ends up like Tyrion believes anyways that he regrets it, you know. So I just thought that was kind of funny. That just shows you more right. of Tyrion's nature. You know, he's, he's not he's uh, more than willing to to surprise you and he's not um he's not above admitting that he's either wrong or that he's weak or that he's right. he's not trying to be these big, bold, strong knights who wield swords and stuff. Yeah. He's very clear about that in this chapter. Yeah. So. Yeah, so then uh, Tyrion starts. So then Tyrion starts reading the book, um, mm-hmm. and actually, it's a lot of stuff we've already kind of covered. Uh, it's just kind of a little bit, kind of about like Aegon's conquest, a little bit. Um, yeah, did you do uh, the the Dragonbone stuff? Yeah, we'll jump into that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, T- uh, Tyrion curled up with his fur, with his fur, uh, with his back against the trunk, took a sip of wine, and began to read about the properties of Dragonbone. Dragonbone is black because of its high iron content. The book told him. It is as strong as steel, yet lighter and far more flexible, and of course utterly impervious to fire. Dragonbone bows are greatly prized by the Dothraki, and small wonder. 
and small wonder. An archer so armed can outrange any wooden bow. Right. And so if you recall earlier, um, when Danny receives her gifts from, um, you know, Cal Drogo's blood riders, one of them gives her a dragon bow. Um, I'm sorry, a dragon bone bow. Mm-hmm. And that, it, of course, is given to Cal, Cal Drogo, you know, because she's not going to use that. But it's pretty cool. She actually puts it on the fire later. Um, and it doesn't doesn't burn, I don't think. Right. So, uh, but it's also cool that it's black, right? So I always imagine you imagine like the the, the the dragon skulls being white or whatever, white like bone, and they're they're not necessarily. Actually, right. we talk about that here in a second, I think. Right. Yeah. So then uh, talk. Then it goes on. This is uh this is this is the biggest kind of Tyrion is a Targaryen. This is like what everyone points to is this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrion had a morbid fascination with dragons. He, uh, when he had first come to King's Landing for his sister's wedding to Robert Baratheon, he had made it a point to seek out the dragon skulls that had hung on the walls of the Targaryen throne room. King Robert had replaced them with banners and tapestries, but Tyrion had persisted until he found the skulls in the dark cellar where they uh, had been stored. He had expected to find them impressive, perhaps even frightening. He had not thought to find them beautiful, yet they were. As black as onyx, polished smooth, so the bones seemed to shimmer in the light of his torch. They liked the fire, uh, he sensed. He'd thrust the torch into the mouth of one of the larger skulls and make the shadow leap and dance on the wall behind them. The teeth were long, curving knives of black diamond. The flame of the torch was nothing to them. They had bathed in the heat and far of far greater fi- fires. When he had moved away, Tyrion could have sworn the beast's empty eye sockets had watched him go. Mm. There were 19 skulls, the oldest more than 3,000 years old, which is interesting because, mm-hmm. like, when we kind of think of dragons, I think we think, like, oh, like Aegon, right, 300. Right. So, yeah, so th- these are 3,000. So these could actually even be dragons from other places outside of, Valeria. like, Valyria. Yeah. They could have been, but I also think perhaps that the Targaryens either brought with them, that might have been something that they brought with them as a, as a skull like this, or it was something that later on during their reign, people brought they, them these that skulls. Shipped him. I think, yeah. I think that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of more likely. Uh, the most recent were also the smallest, a matched pair no bigger than uh, Mastiff skulls and oddly misshapen. All that remained of the last two hatchlings born on Dragonstone. They were the last of the Targaryen dragons, perhaps the last dragons anywhere, and they had not lived very long. So it is interesting here that they're talking about the last two dragons, mm-hmm. and you're talking about John and Tyrion, who most people, a lot of people believe, hey, the three heads of the dragon, mm-hmm. yeah, Tyrion, John, Danny, right, yeah, and well, and it, it, yeah, so he has these, um, he, he's obsessed with them, but then the the next part is sort of about, um, well, we'll get to the dragon dreams in a second, right? Yeah, because because I think he's when when John sort of interrupts him is when we when we get that, but before we get there. Um, he kind of goes on to talk about, you know, um, Aegon's conquest, as yep. we had mentioned, and the, and the dragons associated there. But um, I like I like that he was talking more about his own remote ancestor, King Lauren of the Rock, mm-hmm. right, Lauren Lannister, and and so we just covered that also in Aegon's conquest. Um, but you get sort of this. Yeah. Tyrion is thankful that he survived right. the battle. You know, I'm I'm here because you bent the knee. You know, um, so. That's good. And King, he mentions that King Myrn of the Reach uh, opposed the Targaryen conquest and that, you know, we know his line ended and he was actually killed um, on the Field of Fire. Yep, so. which you talked about as well. All the, This is all that stuff. This is where all this little, see all this little segments here. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is all that stuff that got pulled and then 
expanded into World of Ice. Well, what's and Fire. crazy is it's it's two to three lines here that's expanded a little bit more in World of Ice and Fire, and will be even more expanded upon in Fire and, Fire Blood, and Blood when you it comes know. out later this year. So, yep, really cool. So then um, John comes up and says, "Why do you read so much?" Tyrion looked up at the sound of the voice. Jon Snow was standing a few feet away, regarding him curiously. He looked. Uh, he closed the book on a finger and said, look at me and tell me what you see. The boy looked at him suspiciously. Is this some kind of trick? I see you, Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion sighed. You are remarkably polite for a bastard, Snow. What you see is a dwarf. What are you, 12? 14, the boy said. 14, and you're taller than I will ever be. My legs are short and twisted, and I walk with difficulty. I require a special saddle to keep from falling off my horse, a saddle of my own design. You may uh, be interested to know it was either that or ride a pony. My arms are strong enough, but again, too short. I will never make a swordsman. Had I been born a peasant, they might have left me out to die or sold me into a slaver's grotesquerie. Alas, I was born a Lannister of Castle Rock, and the grotesques are all the poor... Uh, Things are expected of me. And then he goes on to talk about like my father's hand of the king and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then uh, just real quick here, and this is another one of these lines that's highlighted, you know, a couple thousand times. Um, king Robert, as my brother has his sword, King Robert has his war hammer and I have my mind and a mind needs books as a sword needs a whetstone. It is if uh, to keep its edge. Uh, it's absolutely for our book club. That is words to live by. Absolutely. Yeah, because we literally reread and reread these chapters and these books, and we go back over them and stuff, and you just catch something every time you go back through it. And your guys' uh, help out there, our patrons and just other listeners, it, you have no idea how much it adds to the show. It's it's unreal. It really so does. Please keep people, sending the people send it Because you, you guys send us ravens, and we're like, Literally, we'll, we'll just be, we'll met, I'll be at work. I'll, I'll, I'll message Cesar and I'm like, man, did you see this guy's theory? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I yeah. don't know. Gotta, oh, let's dive in. All right, so. right. Yeah. So it's hard for us to maintain. Like today, I kept wanting to do work on the main show. And if it seemed kind of clipped earlier, it's like, well, we took out a bunch of stuff because like we were just, it, it was going to turn into a two hour show on the Sons of the Dragon, you know? Yep. So uh, anyways, so yeah, I think that's, that's shows, shows you a lot of who Tyrion uh, is and who he's going to be going forward. He is extremely smart and he absolutely he has a reason for everything that he does um but he's also kind-hearted he's got sympathy you know for people and he wants to you know he's kind to cersei's children right you know he's he's kind to to um to other grotesques and and cripples and bastards Mm -hmm. and stuff like that you know um and he's he's i don't know so that might be sometimes his and horrors are his weakness, right? You know, mm-hmm. so th- those are sometimes his weaknesses. I think his sympathies or his compassion towards those folk. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So then we get into the dragon dreams. Yes, mm-hmm. and th- this is cool because Tyrion starts to kind of open up and talk about you oh, know, hold on, hold on. Yeah, what, his what, dreams. One thing, real quick. Mm-hmm. Huge line here. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so Tyrion tapped the leather cover of his of his book. That's why I read so much, Jon Snow. The boy absorbed all that in silence. He had the Stark's face, if not the name, long, solemn, and guarded, a face that gave nothing away. Whoever his mother had been, she had left little of herself in her son. And that's just like a, a, a quick little, like, two-second, like, change everything line. But Absolutely. it's just, you're just kind of just tight, throws that in there. I had it all blocked off. And I was <laughs> when you said, I was like, oh, what? what? Okay, we can't skip we that. Yeah. Can't skip that because, you know, you think about... The idea, if you were again a rabbit hole here, but um, if if Rhaegar Targaryen was to be his father, 
that line just means so much, right? That Absolutely. there was little. He looks so much like his father. Now it doesn't mean necessarily that it couldn't be that there's just the stark blood in him right. through his through his sister. Because no, I don't think anyone. I don't think. Tyrion here is thinking, well, oh yeah, I guess that would explain it if, if it was Ned's sister was his mother, you know, um, that would be where the Stark blood comes from, mm-hmm. etc. Because Arya also looks a lot like, you know, um, the Leon, wild right. wild beauty of, of, of Lyanna and, and her father. So, but yeah, if you just take this for what it is right here, then he shouldn't, then, you know, um, his mother... I, like, like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense then, you know, if he looks nothing like his mother... And we th- and if, if you are out there listening and you think, well, his mother must be Lyanna Stark, and he looks nothing like her, then that doesn't fit, does right. it? You know what nope. I'm saying? So it kind of contradicts that R plus L equals J theory. Mm-hmm. So, but all right. Um, so now the dragon dreams. Now the dragon dreams, which is um, just interesting again because here you go talking about oh, Jon Snow's that must not have any of his mother in him, and then you immediately start talking about dragons. Yes. Now I'm going to make a distinction that I don't think some people have made about what he says about what John's dreams are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause they're different than Tyrion's. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Tyrion, you know, I don't know where you want to start with this, but, um, I have a couple things underlined here that I'm just going to kind of read. I yeah, guess. go right ahead. Um, um, he's like, Oh yes. Well, okay. First. So, um, they talk about the dragons and how sad it is that they, you know, are gone. Um, when I was when I was your age, I used to dream of having a dragon of my own, and then you know John is sort of suspicious, you know, really um, thinking almost like if I if I open up that I have dreams of grandeur or whatever that I'm going to get made fun of here. He's like, oh yes, even a stunted, twisted, ugly little boy can look down over the world when he's seated on a dragon's mm-hmm. back. Um, he says he used to start fires. You know, at Castle Rock and stare at the flames for hours. Yeah. <laughs> Staring into the flames, right? Uh, pretending they were dragon fire. Sometimes I'd imagine my father burning. Mm-hmm. At other times, my sister. Uh, John was staring at him. Um, a look equal parts horror and fascination, right? Um, so Tyrion laughs. Uh, don't look at me that way, bastard. I know your secret. You've dreamt the same kind of dreams. And so to me, that means that he's saying that John dreamed dreams of his siblings, you know, being in some way put down. Right. Because he's the one who has lived under this, I'm the bastard. I'm called these things by right. my name. Not necessarily dragons, but you've, you've dreamt of these same type and style of dreams in which you're putting your siblings down. Or you become king in the north. Or you become mm-hmm. lord of Winterfell. That's the way I read it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and for yeah. Tyrion, it was just dragons. Well, I think that's why he's taken aback. I don't, think, I don't think he would be taken aback if they were just dragon dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well... Who would, why would he be like, no, that's because then he talks, then he th- talks about the Night's Watch being honorable as if like he wants to be honorable. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, they could still involve dragons. Sure, they could. Yeah, it just doesn't. I'm just saying the text doesn't actually really. I think it, it, it leans more towards the idea of what you what you said as yeah. opposed to the idea of dragon dreams. Yeah, dreams of your siblings submitting to you and elevating you when for your whole life they've sort of. Um, looked down on you. You know, Sansa definitely does. He's, he's a bastard. He's our half-brother. Right. Sure, I love him, but, you know, I know how I'm supposed to behave towards him. Mm-hmm. Society tells me that uh, we're to look down on him for that, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so Tyrion just kind of goes on to mock him a little bit. He says, no, never? You've never had... Because Jon says, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream those dreams. 
He's like, well, no doubt the Starks have been terribly good to you. I'm certain Lady Stark treats you as if you were one of her own. And your, and your brother, Rob, he's always been kind. And why not? He gets Winterfell, and you get the Wall. And your father, he must have good reasons for packing you off to the Night's Watch. And that's when John starts to yell at him. He yells at him a couple of times to stop it. Stop. Yeah, and then Tyrion feels bad, so he starts to walk over to like pat him on the back, and boom. He's like, yeah. tackled right. by Ghost. Right. Which well, isn't the first time Tyrion gets kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and he's trying. He actually is walking over to reassure John. He, he makes him... He goes too far, you know, and he's really just trying to, in his own cynical way, I guess, sort of like mock him, but yet educate him and like, really, you know, be honest with me here is what he's trying to do. But it, it hurts. You know, honest, the truth hurts sometimes, and it's not something John really wants to face. And Tyrion just sort of takes it a little too far and remembers that he's a young boy. He's 14 Mm -hmm. and he's hurt because he's leaving home and he's going, he's seeing uh, these rapers who are going to be his new brothers. And he just, it's just not what he envisioned it being. And Tyrion's pointing that out and that hurts, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so stop it. And then finally, you know, um, he tries to apologize. He never saw the wolf or where it was or how it came at him. Uh, So one moment he was walking towards John, the next he was flat on his back. All right. Um, and so suddenly, you know, uh, he, he, he kind of hurts his back and he can't really get up, you know, so he's like, help me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so then John, John, John's like, if you put if you say please and then. Right. Like, if you ask me nicely. Yeah, he does. And so then he basically he helps him up and then he says, uh, I, this passage I have highlighted here. I think it's just funny. Uh, why did he attack me? Tyrion asked with a sidelong glance at the dire wolf. He wiped blood and dirt from his mouth with the back of his hand. Maybe he thought you were a grumpkin. Tyrion glanced at him sharply, then he laughs. A raw snort of amusement that came bursting out. Oh, gods, he said, choking on his laughter. I suppose I do rather look like a uh, grumpkin. What does he do to snarks? Mm -hmm. You don't want to know. John picked up the wineskin uh, and handed it to Tyrion. And so that's that's another thing. Just Tyrion is just Mm -hmm. like, he's fine with, you know, making fun of himself. Well, yeah, and and it's it's a good joke. John makes a really good joke, you know, brings it full circle because he was making fun of grumpkins and starks, you know. And and so it turns out Tyrion is AKA a grumpkin, yeah. you know. And then they share a drink, um, you know. And uh, uh, here I have something else underlined. Uh, Tyrion grinned at him. That's that's good, bastard. Most men. Okay. Oh, actually, first, um, the boy took the skin and and tried a cautious swallow. So they're sharing this drink. They've reconciled. Uh, it's true, isn't it? He said when he was done. What you said about the Night's Watch. Tyrion nodded. Jon Snow set his mouth in a grim line. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. And Tyrion's kind of like proud of him, you know. That's right. he said, that's good, you know. Most people uh, would rather deny a hard truth than face it. Um, and then he says, "Most men, uh, but not you." So this is Jon Snow saying this mm-hmm. back to Tyrion. No, Tyrion admitted, "Not me. I seldom even dream of dragons anymore. There are no dragons." Um, Just yeah. another, you know, interesting. Right. So. So and then it kind of, to kind of wrap the chapter up, um, uh, you know they, they go back they have a little bit of stew. Um, there's uh, Yorin's cutting up a squirrel and it's just there's actually a mention of the black bread that they're eating and the food, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because we we've been looking at the um, uh, a feast of ice and fire right cookbook uh, yeah cookbook. So, uh, but anyways, uh, Tyrion was the last to retire as always. So they've they've made camp, they've ate and. John has drawn the first uh, watch 
for the night. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Tyrion was the last to retire, as always. I think that's interesting. He's always up. He's always the last to leave. Um, maybe the first, maybe not necessarily the first to rise, but think back to Winterfell. He was up all night reading books and studying, and mm-hmm. just continues to, you know, I don't know, work his craft mm-hmm. in a sense. So. And yeah. then, it, then it just talks about Tyrion's last retire, as always. And it says, the boy stood near the fire, faced hard, uh, still and hard, looking deep into the flames. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tyrion smiled sadly and went to bed. Um, you know, one thing it mentions a lot in there, um, the boy. Yeah. And Mace Draymond says to him later that he needs to kill the boy. Yeah, same thing he tells Aegon. Right. It mentions it so many times, you know, and just talking about how and it starts to change over the uh, course of this book and the next book, and I think it's something cool to kind of watch. So, all right, um, we are done with the reread this week. Like I said, again, send us any ravens or questions you might have about that chapter or any other theories, um, just questions in general to btkcast at uh, gmail.com. Cool connections, I think we went over that. Yep, Red, for, yeah, Red Keep, yeah, so. For this week, so um, we do have... A raven this week. Yeah, this is uh, this is a, a it's kind of a couple parter here. It's kind of a conversation I had with um, Sir Alex, uh, who I believe is f- I was kind of unclear as to exactly where he's from. His Facebook says he's from South Africa, mm-hmm. but I think he maybe is from South Africa, but now lives in England. Okay, kind of confused. Yeah, uh, but you know, sometimes that's my Facebook creeping, and that's where the, <laughs> the rabbit hole it leads me down to figure uh-huh. out where people are from. Um, so, um, greetings from Bjor, whisper of the old gods, Lord of Giants. I've recently yeah. been thinking about a theory I heard a while ago. Is it possible that back in the War for the Dawn, that there were different factions of the Children of the Forest, those who created the others, and those who sided with the First Men? After the evil children of the forest realized what a super weapon they'd created uh, with the others, they had a change of heart and um, lured. I don't know. He may blood there, crow. This is blood crow. There may be a. Um, this may, he may have been using Google Translate. Uh, no, I mean I think I think he means blood he's, raven. Blood but, raven. Yeah, but he's talking about um, you know um, the three eyed crow. crow. Right. It turns it so blood crow. Would, I, I that's what I that's what yeah. I thought was. It yeah, means, uh, means yeah, blood raven. yeah. To the uh, to the north to help fight against like a guerrilla war in the north to help fight the others after being stuck behind no, the wall. No, wait, he couldn't mean that. Lord Blood Crow to the north, because this is he's talking about Dawn Age. I'm sorry, I was completely yeah. like later on. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay, I, I don't know. Um, and the good faction of children have gone into hiding onto the side under the Isle of Faces, uh, and maybe it's kind of like their last sanctuary. So I guess uh, kind of before we go on to like some of his other mm, stuff. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that. So like, yeah, the idea that there are possibly two factions, si- factions yeah. that's possible because yeah. you see that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, in just a lot of things you'll see, you'll see kind of factions splinter off and, and things like that. Like all you have to do is look at, um, religion, uh, especially if you go back to actually when Gur is drawing a lot of inspiration. I mean, you look at like, just like Christianity and all of the, the factions and splintering offs that that goes, you know, on during like the crusades and, all, all of those things. Um, yeah. So it is, mm-hmm. it is possible that you know they end up kind of fighting themselves and and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, I think I think it could be actually. I mean, you talk about the uh, like the like their their green seers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and what they were doing for when they were breaking um, the land bridge, and then possibly what they were working on at the neck. Um, and if those things didn't work out, did did, did all the children agree to those? Right. 
to those the, those terms. I you know I, I I don't know. And then when you go, I, I really do believe that the children might have realized they made a mistake. If if we look at what the, happened in the show when they create the others, you know, um, and because that the, the dawn age again happens before the long night, right? So they create these others, and did that create? this other faction where they followed the others and they used them. And then another uh, part of the children were sort of like, ah, that was, that was wrong there. They, they've turned out to be monstrous, uncontrollable, mm-hmm. you know, people we've, we've done something wrong here. Uh, and they're trying to correct it because I go back to the, the idea that um, the three eyed crow, when he is uh, or blood Raven, when he goes ranging and is, and is lost. That's why I thought he was, was, was talking about right. was that he was lured by the children to help them, right their wrongs possibly and that they have decided that no that was wrong we need to you know um you know change this because it's a hey, they, they they were under attack they were using the magics and the powers that they had um to wall off or keep out the first men and just to survive right and they created something much darker than they could possibly you know imagine and the long night comes and that happens right. so I kind of think that's cool I actually think that could very well be the case but mm-hmm. it's it's such a long time ago that that things are so, you know, it's the speculation is, it's it's hard. It's hard to mm-hmm. determine. But the fact that we got like a, you know, brand looking that far back into history and seeing that is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and in maybe the, in, in the show, in, in the, the show. show, in the show, and that's and that's that's a distinction actually in kind of his second question, which kind of ties into it too. I'll, we'll we'll jump into it too. Uh, another one is that the Night King. Uh, so this is kind of another theory here. It, uh, one is that the Night King made a deal with the first Starks after the after the war and agreed to create kind of like a demilitarized zone and demanded sacrifices to keep their population up. Um, and that's kind of like where the walls created. After the Starks forgot the agreement with the Walkers, the 13th Lord Commander actively tried to make amends with the Night King. He took an other as a bride and started sacrificing men to the Night's Watch and others, um, and this is where you get the name of the Night King. And he does he does want to make a distinction here that there's a difference between the Night King and the Knights King. Mm-hmm. In the book, I don't actually... So the Knights King is like the 13th Lord Commander, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that also there is the Night King who is in like... The show. In the show, like mm-hmm. the villain character. Mm-hmm. Now, they in the show, he may be the same person. We haven't really been ever told no, that story right, in right. the show, so I don't think we're going to get it. Yeah. In the books um then that character hasn't doesn't really exist there's just the others we may get a leader of the others of the others who may end up being a new night king maybe somebody who's been around longer could end up still being this 13th lord commander mm-hmm. um but maybe not so yeah what's what's crazy we did a little research on this so that thirteenth Lord Commander, you know, the Night's Watch was formed after the the, the long night had been ended as Orahai has come back and defeated, right. you know, was was the champion and they create the wall. Brand the Builder goes there. Thirteen Lord Commanders later, you have the Knight, the Knights King, as like the Knights Watch King. King, right? The Knights Watch King, who marries that, uh, you know, what looked like a female other, although mm-hmm. they're described in the book as having neither sex really but right. uh, what what have you and actually one of the starks of winterfell um agrees with jormon the king beyond the wall and they actually consolidate their forces they unite wildling and stark to bring down the um the night's watch or the, the the night's king because he had basically put a spell on like this 
on on and had been sacrificed making sacrifices to the others and had put a spell on um the the night's watch and they were under his command mm-hmm. so it was kind of cool because we we talked about in the first couple chapters here ned stark saying he would have to call the banners to go beyond the wall to face this king or to mm-hmm. put this king down you know and then to think that there was an alliance once bet- bet- between um king Jorman beyond the wall and you know um a stark in winterfell and actually what happens is like the with like they eradicate or they it says it that um that his name is lost to time and history like it's just it's taken out of any books whoever that commander was his his house or who he belonged to gone nothing might have been a stark mm-hmm. actually might have actually been a stark and that's why they wanted it you know blotted out so yeah. i thought it was kind of cool yeah so um yeah so then he talks about that and he says maybe um uh, after the Night's King's death, uh, more wildlings pushed beyond the wall. Um, uh, maybe the others are retaliating uh, to a broken agreement of blood and believe that the only way for them to survive is to conquer the entirety of Westeros and drive them back, uh, you know, by uh, drive back the stabbing men back into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually, anyway, I do what I found like most interesting here was the idea that like maybe, yeah, that has because. That was something that is something that we kind of see we see in the show or, uh, you know, uh, and possibly in the books. I'm kind of just blanking right now mm-hmm, um, yeah. about the Craster Keep and he's sacrificing the babies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because they don't really I guess we don't really know why now. And maybe it is because sacrifices have stopped. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of we've been talking about that for a couple episodes now as to why. Why now? Why, why did they choose this time? Chaos in the kingdom. Stopping of the the sacrifices. You know, um, and also the difference between those babies being, you know, sacrificed willingly given versus rising, uh, r- raising the dead. Right. You know, against their will, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly why that they've decided to come south. Um, the time is right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really kind of crazy to, to think about. Maybe dragons are back and they're yeah, nervous magic about is, the dragons back or... Yeah, I, like like something has awoke. These two, you know, again, I go back to Rolore, right? Because um, winter has come many times before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like the walls there. So how did I get beyond the wall? Right. You know, like. Yeah. And I think the thing is, too, that th- this would be like the second long night, right? Mm-hmm. That That's coming again. Um, and the Starks, when, when they say winter is coming, they really are. They're talking about winter in general, but they're also, there's a, that, that, uh, underlying meaning that winter you know right. the others and they use you know ned and those guys when they talk when they make their curses you know the others take your eyes or you know the others this the, the others that they mention them quite a bit actually um to the point where it's like wow where did that curse originate from mm-hmm. right i mean they were obviously something real and we know they're real because the first chapter we see them laughing and mocking you know men of the night's watch mm-hmm. killing them so but, uh, yeah, they're a little more human in the books as opposed mm-hmm. to like monstrous zombies. Yeah, they're almost like they're also very. Um, they seem quick, swift, mm-hmm. um, agile. You know what I mean? Right. So, and you know, like, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, um, as to why, because I, if you go back and you find there's we have older videos and stuff like that we did on uh, on other stuff when we were mm-hmm. talking about Game of Thrones back in the day. And we kept saying, like, in season six and season five, like, when is this going to get going? Like, at some point, like, the wall is going to have to come down and we're going to have to get this going. And this is another thing where I think the books and shows are going to be totally different is I was trying to think as as a why 
this mm-hmm. is going on. And then I started thinking, well, it maybe it just has to do with like, not just that the show is doing things their own way. It's that the show is doing things in a way that has to work for television mm-hmm. and that it's a lot bigger budget, you know, when you're talking about doing the others because mm-hmm. yeah. there's a lot more special effects that are involved. And yeah, I mean, you know, it took 50, you know, like they filmed, they just filmed a scene for a battle. We're going to presume between the others and the North. That's like 55 nights yeah. to film. You're like, that's huge. That costs a ton of money. I know <laughs> that costs a ton of money. And there's also ratings. Like, you know, we, we know that they specifically kind of cut out some of the Dornish stuff because like, ratings did not do as well yeah mm-hmm. when with like the door and stuff so that's just story that they're just like nah we're cut, cutting that because we have to adhere to ratings mm-hmm. as opposed to Gur, who's just writing the story that he everyone's gonna buy it so he can yeah. do whatever he wants well even your mainstream just person who's seen the tv series i mean you and i who have uh, even our buddy tom and uh you know sir, sir thomas and sir david you know we've read the series we've done a lot of research on it and still the names are daunting and like the houses and the the alliances and things like that so you imagine that is part of the making the tv show uh, my own sister who, who who loves watching it it's just like it gets lost in in just the reduced amount of right content that's put up on on the on the hbo on the show. show so mm-hmm. yeah it does make a lot of sense that when dorn was introduced like who are all these people and like another, another name and house we have to really keep track of kind of hard to do so mm-hmm. so i get that and you're right it could be um it's again very different. It's easier in a book to have all these lines and dialogue where you mentioned the others over mm-hmm. and over and over again in lore and legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, more opportunities for that to happen in a book sprinkled out right. than in a well, TV also, show. Well, also, I mean, also just think about this is, you know, it's easier to film because I think they film in like Croatia a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like Spain. They film in Spain a lot and stuff like that. Well, it's a lot easier to film in Spain than it is to film in, I guess, like Greenland and, and Iceland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know I mean, where yeah. it's like cold and you're in like the mountains. Right. That's yeah, hard, like, you know, like to film. So right. I think that's why, I think that's why it's kind of like, if you're just a show watcher, you're like, like, wait, why are these, like, they're just always there. Cause I like, cause I had watched the shows first and I was like kind of confused. I was like, are they ever going to like, are they ever going to come South? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So anyways, uh, Sir Alex, I, I like this, you know, um, this idea that perhaps there is this uh, this uh, this agreement um, that was made, and it depended upon uh, sacrifices to yeah. keep up their population. So that is uh, very very. I think it's a huge point. Yeah, I think it's a really big point. Like literally, I was kind of I was at work and I just kind of clicked, and I was like, yeah, actually, that might be the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Um, anyways, I, I just thought that was that, that is really cool. We because think about this, Craster just kind of like like the wildlings. We know they kind of have like encampments, but they do end up kind of moving around and stuff. Because um, when uh, Jor Mormont is going to go march and figure out, like he's like send the knights out, we're going to go march on Mance Raider. Sam is like finding these book these maps, and he Jor Mormont's kind of upset because he's like none of these encampments still hold. You know, they because they move around. He's like, but the re- the strivers or like the mountains and the hills and the rivers are all still in the same place. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, okay, that's gets us gets us gets us a good point. So we know that the wildlings move around, but Craster just hangs out. Well, here's the thing. I, right, so Craster's obviously he just puts those sacrifices out, and he's just he's fine. They let him be. They let him be. Absolutely, they do. Um, and those are his sons. Yeah, exactly. So the ones who come back to get the other sons are his sons. Yeah, that's their that's their father, essentially, yeah. right? So I was thinking too. The other wildlings might have 
a similar process too. We just don't know about it. Right. Perhaps they also were giving sacrifices or things like that that we didn't know about. Craster just happens to stay in one spot and is dedicated to, you know, to that lifestyle and knows that it's just something, you know, he has to do. Maybe he had an encounter with them at one point and that was what they needed. Um, because, because it is, it is, we almost overlook it. We almost, we don't think about it enough that he was, is he what's keeping them right. stocked, you know, with, with this, uh, honoring almost this agreement because Sir Alex mentions that they push, um, the wildlings as they push North, um, it almost, again, if the, if the, if the others are up there, um, and much further North then, and they feel that pressure of the wildlings pushing and growing and growing and growing, and they're not getting enough sacrifices and not fulfill, you know, not, um, you know, replenishing their own people or whatever, then they do feel like they need to push South and, and destroy and make a new agreement with whoever, you know, it could just be this agreement that they're making with local tribes that is not not enough to to suffice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you look at the map, so you have like hard home. So this is something else you always have to kind of look at. When you actually look at the map, like it's not once you get beyond the wall, it's not just like solid ice. Mm-mm. No. Above it. In the show, is the show we kind of see it. So it goes like up and then over to the west, mm-hmm. and then there's like a little bit here. There's like a little bit to the east, but it kind of and isn't the east mostly the woods? Yeah. The east right. is the east is you have like the woods straight and that's shot like brand. hard home. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a huge wildling kind of mm-hmm. like, I guess, city, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like all the way on like the ocean, just right. kind of hanging on out. On the west, right? On the east. Is it on the east? Okay. Yeah. And then on the as you go west is where you get to like the lands of always winter where it's like, oh, it's like super icy. You, you get over the mountains of like, then you have like the frost fangs and the fist of the first men, first men is north of Craster's Keep. Craster's Keep is like right on the edge of like, it's like right once you get past the haunted forest mm-hmm. and then that's where you start to get to like the frost fangs. Yeah. Okay. So really Craster's Craster is kind of maybe what keeps them from actually going over to like hard home because mm-hmm. hard home is not, it's, it's, I mean, it's not like just, if you look at some of the maps, it looks a little more green to that side than it does like white. Right. And what's interesting is too, like when, when you look at the map, um, going north, north. So I just pulled this up. So you guys might want to take a look at it when they were, when, when John and those guys travel, uh, north past Craster's keep, they run into the fist of the first men. Right. And that's mm-hmm. over, you know, it's I just think, north of Craster's Key. Right. I think then, you know, moving down, a lot, a lot of the wildlings are coming down out of those mountains, that last little mountain range where you've got, um, you know, the giant stairs, milk water, thin, frost fangs, and so on. There's still some trickling of people there who are coming east, I guess, as you would say, um, past the fist of the first men. So Mance Raider is gathering, you know, people in that area and taking them south. Um but I, I get what you're saying that Craster, the others are clear down in there, man. Yeah. So, so the others have no. I mean, it's not like they're always in the land, the lands of always winter. What is over there? Are these their are, are these their advanced scouts? Yeah. Right. So they have a whole population or people that live in the lands of always winter and the frozen shore, but yet they um, send their scouts out to replenish their stores, their 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 population. Right. You know, through Craster and maybe some of these other. You know, wildlings. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they don't have to be given or sacrificed, but they can be taken. Maybe they take live babies. They take, you know, live children and convert them or whatever. So mm-hmm. I know they can raise the dead. That's very different from what they're actually trying to to really do, though. So, 
Yeah, I've got I've got like five maps. Five maps. What if I actually just found a new one? That's like really really cool. <laughs> I like nice. It I got like I like it a lot here. But yeah, so just when you look at these maps here, because um, that's something else. Whenever time I I look at the maps, I'm always just like so like oh wow yeah. Because I mean look at it like if you're like all you have to do is make a boat. Like if you're the wildlings, all you gotta do is make the boat. Because look at you got hard home, then you got Skagos right over there, which you know is where Rickon's mm-hmm. taken to later. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe maybe I guess it's too icy up there to to sail across. But yeah, yeah. Um. So, anyways, I think that's good. I think um, we've we've Sir Alex, thank you for the for for the Raven. We we appreciate it, and it's definitely got us thinking. Mm-hmm. So. Really enjoyed it. Okay, uh, do we have another Raven, or is there is there more to his? Uh, yeah, he just has one kind of last question, and that's kind of, okay. and then that's kind of it for uh, today. Did the Valyrians make armor out of Valyrian steel? I was just wondering because the evolution of weapons and armors becomes more as as with the uh, evolution of weapons, armor becomes more redundant. So with the dragons um, and Valyrian steel weapons, would there be any point in armor? Any, uh, and skill would be the factor of combat much like today where we only have like breastplates, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like bulletproof vest to stop shrapnel, etc. but our limbs aren't really protected. Uh, would there be any point in, uh, is there like a law of diminishing return? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good question. Did, um, I don't know necessarily. Do you, have you looked? So I looked into it and the, the only thing that I could find is in one of the, I guess, sample chapters of winds of winter. It's believed that Euron Greyjoy has a Valyrian, has Valyrian steel armor. Okay. Um, we do know that some, that some houses have like a Valyrian steel ax as opposed to like, say a sword, Mm -hmm. but I would have to imagine that there is Valyrian steel armor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that, and it could just be something that's lost, really, to, you know, time. Well, to the doom, yeah, and all that stuff, yeah. So, so that's a great question. But yeah, we'll have to look. Is that the only reference you could find? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe as we as we tear through the book, there might be more, because um, sometimes you know, uh, you don't be surprised here. <laughs> the wiki doesn't have everything. Doesn't you know? It, it'll send you. You click on those references, see what chapter it's in, and go read the chapter. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes there's more surrounding that that particular reference. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. All right. Again, thanks, Sir Alex. We, we appreciate that. Send those ravens to btkcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right. On to Man the Wall. This is where we invite you to hop over and check out um, the Black Council episode one. And uh, also, before we get into our knighting ceremony, which we have uh, a knighting ceremony today for you, I wanted to mention a quick plug for uh, a new series that we're going to be doing called Green Dreams. Green Dreams episode one should be coming maybe in July. Yeah. Um, so we'll have Green Dreams episode one coming there. And basically it's it's something I've I've been pulling out these 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 questions. I've I've been looking at where a dance of dragons ends. And I was telling Sir Matt this the other day, and I was like, there's so many unanswered questions. Oh my gosh. And it's it's uh, you you could speculate in any number of ways. And it goes back to what we what we had said a couple years ago to one another when we were watching the series and you were like you were like, you know, um, how is he going to finish this? What, I mean, what, what loose ends still need tied up? And I'm like, there's so many, like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, I hope it, I hope he takes three to four more books to finish it, you know, but for example, I've got a couple of questions here that I'll just kind of tease you guys with, which is, uh, who hired Darkstar to kill Marcella Baratheon? That's a pretty big one at the, at the end of the book. Um, where is Edric Dane or Edric Ned Dane? 
Um, let's see what what's going to become of Beric Dondarrion and Illyria Dane. So you can see a trend here. I'm really focused on the Danes for a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, but then I also have something you know, for example, like Edric Storm. You know, I was kind of inquiring about about him and his whereabouts and what he is possibly going through in his role and what he might you know um, what what might happen in the future. So if you have more of those ideas, if you've read the series and you're looking at like unanswered questions or a thread that may be continued here in winds of winter we got a whole year or more to discuss where this may go and some of these things have been hinted at in the first couple chapters of winds of winter and so again that'll be a series called green dreams um so and that i'll let you guys kind of vote on some of those topics on patreon.com and and we'll just we'll dive into it so it's pretty easy to speculate on and if you have speculation yourself we'll try to incorporate that in the episode Mm -hmm. so all right, my friend, um, we are on to our knighting ceremony. So, Cat, in the name of the warrior, I charge you to be brave. In the name of the father, I, char- I charge you to be just. In the name of the mother, I charge you to defend the young and innocent. In the name of the maid, I charge you to protect all women. In the name of the smith, I charge you to mend the broken. In the name of the crone, I charge you to seek wisdom. In the name of the stranger, I charge you to face death with sword in hand. Rise, Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm. Oh, man. It's so, it's just like, this is one I've been wanting to finish, Mm -hmm. this this knighting ceremony. It's it's mentioned in the Dunkin' Egg series. And um, Lord Baratheon, I think, is is, is knighting. Gosh, I forget his name. The one of the Applewoods, right? Yeah. And uh, Sir Stefan. Yeah, it was the other one, his cousin, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Dunk's all nervous because he doesn't know the words. How do I do it? What, what you know? What do I do? And uh, he just kind of sort of he takes over and sends him to go, you know, to go talk to Baylor. And uh, it's it's that trial by seven, mm-hmm. ancient. Yeah, and we actually just found even I guess another version. Which is in a Clash of Kings. I was when I was I'm doing I'm reading rereading through it right now, and it is when Brienne of Tarth pledges her I guess allegiance mm-hmm. to uh, Catelyn Tully, Catelyn Stark, and it's that's almost like the that's almost like a sworn sword yep. sort of thing. So that's the difference between you have hedge knights who are just knights, right? They're mm-hmm. just a knight, uh, just a knight, mm-hmm. and then you have sworn swords who are basically like a hedge knight. Or a knight, or a knight, just mm-hmm. so, someone, and then they swear their sword to a specific house, right, or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so th- uh, we just found that one, and that one is actually a little more outlined. We actually have the whole thing, it's, right? It's in the book, so that's, that's another cool. that's another option if you if you want if you want to do that as yeah. well. Like, so we got three options for you. So if you listened to last week's episode, we had a custom one by um, by you know, Sir Adam, Sir, uh, Lord Adam Parker, um, you know, and then we had. Uh, uh, Sir Jared Gebhardt, um, we had his knighting ceremony, and then so now we have, um, you know, Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm. So each week we're going to be knighting people, and and we'll, we'll continue those um, on the main show. And so, then you also, and then for those of you who have also taken the black, you have that as well, where you uh, say your Night's Watch vows. Right, exactly. Just send those to so us. Yeah, there's a lot of options. A lot of options. It's just fun because like yeah. when we refer to people and we reply back in emails and we send ravens back and forth. By the way. Matt, uh, Sir Matt is working on a kit uh, for us to do some actual pretty, pretty yeah, badass some pretty stuff. cool stuff uh, for, for for our patrons. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but anyways, um, we'll we'll just teasing, just teasing some stuff here. 
So uh, we'll, we'll get you guys some pictures of that later on. But anyways, so Man on the Wall, hit us up at patreon.com forward slash bend to the knee for all of those uh, extra episodes, your custom sigil, you know, and knighting ceremonies. And just, you know, you guys get to influence the show. Um, everyone who sends a raven gets in on, on follow-up Friday. But the main show and where we go and what we do on Patreon series is basically up to those who, who sign up on Patreon. Absolutely. All right. So, all right, everyone, we want to thank you for playing the game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing Chapter 14, Catelyn 3. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, or leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We'll see you in a week, and remember, family, duty, honor. <laughs>